Hey there, podcast listeners. Aaron here. Before we get to that sweet, sweet, same old song, theme music you know and love, I want to share an amazing number with you. There are about a thousand people listening to every episode of Same Old Song, which is incredible. And we want to say thank you to those of you that have listened, that have shared it with your friends. And we've heard from a lot of you who are preachers what a help it is. It's just that extra jump start to your sermon prep every week. Your plate is already so full. The help that you get from this podcast is really meaningful. And got us thinking, you know, how many people in congregations may be being influenced every week by my lame jokes and Jake's incredible exegesis? And so we did some back-of-the-envelope calculations. You know, if half of our listeners are preaching every Sunday, and the median church size in America is about 75 people, that means—are you ready for this? 37,500 people a week could be impacted and influenced by the help that we give in finding the message of God's grace in the lectionary readings every Sunday here on this podcast. 37,500, almost 40,000 people, and that's lowballing it. It's a joy for Jake and me to do this, and we donate our time, and it's a blessing to us and a blessing to y'all. And we are now asking you to think about helping to support this ministry. If each one of our thousand listeners gave 83 cents a month, that would cover the cost of the podcast. PayPal doesn't let you do 83 cents a month, but if you gave $10 a month, not only would you get a subscription to the Mockingbird Journal, which is this incredibly beautiful publication that will not only impress your friends as it sits on your coffee table, it will bless your heart as you read its contents. And it would also be almost a fifth, if $10 a month were given by our listeners, it would be a fifth almost of our annual budget, not only helping this podcast, but the four other ones we do, and the books, and the blog, and the conferences, and the journal itself. All these things, just go to ember.com, click on support at the top, take three minutes, you can do it on your phone, and your gift will be an incredible blessing to not only us, as we've said, this people that are behind the scenes at Mockingbird, but to thousands, tens of thousands of people who are benefiting from the ministry. Just go to ember.com. You can do it on your phone. That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday. To give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, here we are for another episode of the same old song. We are glad that you're here. Um, this is the weekly lectionary podcast by Mockingbird Ministries. And as always, I'm Jacob Smith coming to you with my co host and friend. Uh, Aaron Zimmerman. How are you, Aaron? That's right. Uh, I am doing okay. 
Um, you forgot to leave, you left out Confessor, and boy, the no. stories I could tell about Jacob Smith, <laughs> but I won't. <sighs> no, I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're in Advent now, so, um, we're, but we're recording this pre-Advent, so I'm not yet feeling the holiday mm. stress, but I can tell you That's by the right. time our listeners are listening to this, uh, yeah. you and I and everybody will be in the thick of it, and... Um, we will have already passed Black Friday. We'll have missed the huge sales. We'll be uh, kicking ourselves and full mm. of stress. So again, as we, as we told you last uh, week, uh, dear listeners, as as you are preparing to preach to your congregations, just remember that you're preaching to people who are full of existential dread about uh, the holidays, about being with difficult family members, about the financial expense, about trying to make the best Christmas ever. Clark Griswold style, all those sorts of things are going to be going on. So just just remember, uh, as Mrs. Griswold said uh, to her daughter, um, just remember, honey, it's Christmas and we're all miserable. That's right. Well, uh, today is, you know, the Sunday that this is for is December 8th. And uh, on the second Sunday of Advent, we always do a big lessons and carol service. So if you are in the New York City area um, and you want to come to one of the oldest lessons and carol services in uh, the country, come join us at St. George's Church. Um, The prelude is at 340 and the service actually begins at 4 p.m. And it's going to rock. You don't want to miss it. But today, if it's December 8th, I'm stressed out. If we're doing plugs, I mean, I got to get one in too. If you're yeah, go in the for much, it. if you're in the much cooler Waco, Texas, and Central Texas area, <laughs> uh, forget that New York City. Uh, and not a Baptist. On. Yeah, and, and you're, well, no, we we welcome all, Jake. Okay. Uh, the Episcopal Church is a big tent. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're having our lessons and carols <laughs> on December fifteenth. So you now have uh, more. You know, it's not this Sunday. It's it's uh, you yeah. got a little bit of time to get ready. But December fifteenth, Sunday night, we have our lessons and carols. And it's going to be beautiful. It's really one of the highlights of the year here, as well as in New York or wherever you are. It's one of the coolest Absolutely. things about being an Episcopalian slash Anglican Christian is this little thing called lessons and carols. Uh, so yeah, go to it wherever you are, listener. And uh, yeah, anything so, else we should plug? No, I'm feeling good right now. And um, so uh, you know, uh, Mockingbird as always. You know, get your friend Seculosity for Christmas. And uh, yeah, um, so. Get it wherever books books are sold. So um, anyway, uh, we begin the second Sunday of Advent with another very powerful, powerful uh, collect. And uh, the collect here, uh, most merciful God, who sent your messenger, the prophets, to preach repentance and to prepare the way for salvation. This really, um, this really gives us an insight into the ministry of the prophets. The prophets were not there simply to just predict the future. Uh, they were there to point to the person and work of Jesus. And uh, really that pointing to that message of salvation, of God coming to you, that's the grace to heed their warning and forsake our sin, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ. And I love the word here. It's not um, as our taskmaster or as our um, homeboy, but as our redeemer, because each and every one of us needs a redeemer. And uh, we see that clearly here in our reading from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. That's a great but segue. But before we get to that passage, I do want to say one thing again about this collect. And uh, if you're not an Episcopalian, be one, because these collects are so great. And you because this Sunday, as well as last Sunday, they both, the, a collect always has one request. 
And it, the request last Sunday and this one primarily is give us grace. Mm. Uh, you know, it says give us grace to heed their warnings. And, you know, last week it was give us grace to put away the works of darkness. You'll hear many people pray and they'll say their version of this prayer would be, God, we put away our darkness, Lord, and therefore would you do yeah. such and such? Or they'll say, merciful God, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. We heed their warnings and we forsake our sins, God. They'll leave out that give us grace to heed their warnings and mm -hmm. forsake our sins because there's this belief that we can just hear it and do it. And we can't. And there's this wonderfully low anthropology, meaning low view of human capacity and agency in the theology that formed these collects. I would say there was a biblical anthropology, a low view of human power. And so there's a request that God would give us the grace to do these things and the realization that we can't do it on our own. And there's a, lot, there's a whole sermon in there you could preach. I'll stop there, but I'll just say it's a good thing to have these collects to shape and form the way you and your people think about this. Um, if you're a preacher, that, that we need God's help even to do these good things. Um, so that's all I want to say about that. So now back as Jake had already wonderfully segued us to Isaiah 11, the stumpy passage of the Bible. Uh, a shoot is coming out of the stump of Jesse. Uh, can, can we just say yeah. that 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 phrase right there? Um, it has been so overwhelmed with like Christmas cheer and things like that. But this is an incredibly, incredibly offensive statement to the first hearers of it, because what he is saying is is that like literally the stump, like Jesse, has been chopped and laid waste to nothing but a stump. But out of that is going to come new one shoot, one new life. Um, you know, um, one branch shall grow out of its root. And, yeah, and so, uh, this is really focusing on everything is going to be about one person. So, to, yeah, that's exactly right. So Jesse, uh, for our biblically illiterate listeners. Had uh, a girl, and I wish <laughs> I had her. <laughs> this is not Uncle Jesse either from the Dukes of Hazard. This is... Uh, the father of King David and right. uh, the son of Obed and also the uh, great, uh, the grandson of uh, Ruth and Boaz. Ruth. Yep. Mm -hmm. So to say a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse for an American audience, something would be like a shoot shall come out of the burned out hulking remains of George Washington or yeah. George Washington's dad. It's sort of like, Take the founding father's father and Larry. say that everything... Yeah. Larry Washington. <laughs> Larry Washington. <laughs> little known, little known man, Larry. Uh, but the fruit of his loins was pretty important. Uh, so, yeah, Larry Wayne Washington has, is just a burned out... <laughs> Jake is just cracking himself up, people. I, can, I have the gift of seeing him on my screen. He is just chuckling. Uh, so, yeah. Th but this, yeah, to say that all that remains of Jesse, this great origin of the nation of Israel is just a stump. I mean, think about the end of the giving tree, that the, that pathetic, most depressing <laughs> That's kid's read at every eighth grade graduation. Ever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So think about that chopped down tree and that little old elfin dwarf-like Yoda man sitting on mm. it at the end of the giving tree. Mm. And that's the picture of the nation of Israel. And But God is saying a shoot shall come out of it. A branch will grow out of the roots. And we, we have a wisteria plant at our house that when we moved to our house was so big and had taken over the garage, even though the flowers were pretty and they smelled good, uh, rats were using it to climb into our garage, like up by the roof. So we just cut the thing back and we just cut it all the way to the ground. You couldn't see anything. I thought it was dead forever. We were going to plant some tasteful little shrub there. 
and uh, and it came back. And so that's this sort of thing, this impossible, horribly offensive thing. The stump is all that's left, and yet God comes mm. out of that. And that that's that is Christmas. I mean, this is an Advent reading, but getting us ready for Christmas. Yep. And it's and a, and a shoot is small. And so when Jesus comes, yeah, there's just a stump of Jesse left. You know, the Davidic kingship is over. Uh, Jerusalem is there. The temple is there, but not like it used to be. Everything's uh, basically a puppet for Rome. And uh, and this tiny thing that you can't even see, you'll miss it if you walk by it too quickly. This little baby is going to be born. Um, right. So that's the and idea here. Is, and so, yeah. And then you have this powerful description of this shoot. And he is. this is contrasted with the... Uh, current kings of Israel, and uh, you know this—he's going to be different. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And really, what that is is um, the total and complete respect and honor of God. And uh, I love this—he shall not judge by what he is, his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Um, the, the point being there is that, man, we're going right to the heart. This is no longer about the outside. We're getting right at the end. And then you have this beautiful depiction of the Messianic age. And, uh, and this is what Advent looks forward to as well. Um, the uh, not yet part of the already of the resurrection. Yeah. Uh, you get also this beautiful picture of um, the the author tries to take all these things that hate each other mm-hmm. and would never get along and actually would try to destroy the other and says that these things are going to be together. So mm-hmm. cow and the bear, the calf and the lion, the wolf and the lamb, all these things whose natural state is to be uh, in hatred to one another will actually... Um, get along the, mm. the the young lion uh or the 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 young uh cow and bear will lie down together the lion will eat straw like the ox the the, the little baby was going to play over the snake's hole and put its hand right into the into the cobra den so um yeah this this coming king this little shoot that's going to come out of the stump of jesse is going to um, again, you, like you had last week, for all the nations, as it says in the last verse of this passage, all the nations are going to inquire of him or come to him. Um, uh, it's to all people. And it's going to make things that are normally hate each other actually love each other. This that's is right. the idea. And this is, this is where it begins to get a little more. That, that, that's a definite Christmas idea. And, uh, and it's a definite gospel idea because now we see also the enmity between God and you, God and humanity. In this, because of this stump has come to an end as well. And uh, God is now your uh, savior. And uh, this is the powerful thing about the entire world knowing this, uh, you know, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And indeed, the, the world will know and is learning right now that there is a God and, uh, and knowledge about him is that he has come as your savior, your friend and your Lord. And, um, and that is like one of the hopeful promises of the gospel is that there is coming a time when, um, well, already because of Jesus, the enmity between you and God is over, but yep. also um, that the world will be full of the knowledge of that. And you see that again in, this comes up in the Romans reading, this idea of yeah. reconciliation and unity. Um, in verse five, 
Paul says, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. In verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Uh, so there is all of this idea of reconciliation and things that were divided now being put back together. You have also this idea of, again, the nations, the Gentiles coming in in verse 9. Um, and and then he specifically calls back to this idea from Isaiah in verse 12. says, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come. So... Paul is saying in Romans that what uh, Isaiah talked about has now come to pass. And because of that, we see the reconciliation. So Paul definitely has in mind all these same ideas from Isaiah uh, 11 uh, when he is writing Romans 15. uh, And that everybody is invited to come into this redeeming God who sets Mm -hmm. things right and to come into relationship with God. And Paul is writing to try to encourage people and um, and let them know that they can live in harmony with one another. Now, a lot of people want us to follow the way of love and live in harmony without it being rooted in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Paul doesn't really let us get away with that because he knows on our own people don't do that. I mean, have you met any human beings? Uh, we're terrible. Even the ones that are in Christ have a really <laughs> hard time doing this. But that's why Paul says... May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ. Uh, And he says the only reason you can welcome one another is because Christ has welcomed you. This is another uh, way of saying what we read in 1 John, that we love because he first loved us. Christ Mm -hmm. comes to be a servant first, and because of that, we can be a servant to others. So... um, so that's where the, the Romans passage goes. Uh, are there other things you would hit that are in there, Jacobus? No, I mean, I do. I, I, no, I think you nailed it. And so, um, and there's no, no need to kind of pound this. But, um, I mean, the, the other thing to remember is that uh, Paul is quoting the prophets here to um, articulate that this has all been part of God's plan from the beginning, that the Gentiles would come and worship um, him and uh, that he would draw the Gentiles to himself through this uh, root of Jesse. And so um, that is a, that's a powerful thing. So this has always never been just about Israel. This has always been about the whole world. Yep. And so we now get to Matthew 3, our gospel reading, which by the way, if you haven't chosen your hymns from Sunday, the perfect hymn to choose for this passage is on Jordan's bank, the Baptists cry, which in Waco, I can always make jokes about, you know, Baptists crying. But uh, this is actually about um, John the Baptist crying out because it begins in verse one. On the, in those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judah, proclaiming, crying out, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so, uh, but what we get is the collect said at the beginning, the prophets, you know, give us these warnings and teach us to repent. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets showing up at the beginning of the New Testament. And Mm -hmm. he is the last one that's warning everybody, get your act together, uh, gather all your receipts so you can file your itemized deductions and expenses. And because the accountant, the divine accountant is coming and he is, uh, uh, to mix metaphors, he's loaded for bear. Like the, like judgment is coming, and get ready. But there's a surprise. I mean, the the idea, yeah, there's a huge surprise coming. But also the idea here too is when you read Matthew's gospel, um, what Matthew is trying to do is also show John the Baptist as the new Elijah, the forerunner yep. to the Messiah. And so that's why it opens up with um, Elizabeth and um, Zechariah, and then it moves to Mary and Joseph. And then once again, it's John the Baptist on the scene. And then um, 
and then Jesus. And uh, Matthew's gospel has all of these, there are these kind of important scenes where right before Jesus does something significant where Elijah or the John the Baptist shows up. So um, culminating with the transfiguration. So a powerful thing Matthew's doing here is demonstrating that John the Baptist is the new Elijah. And he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And John the Baptist was someone you wouldn't want to have at dinner. You're absolutely right. There is a surprise coming on the end because John the Baptist, um, man, he delivers the law really hard. Industrial um, strength. What's that? Industrial strength. Yeah, he does. He brings the heat. And um, I... I love this. I mean, there is this this commotion going down on the Jordan River, and uh, so much so that the Pharisees and the Sadducees have got to come down and check it out. And I can't imagine what must have happened when they showed up on the River Jordan and they hear John the Baptist yell, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath of, to come. Bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our ancestor. And this is the thing, I mean, and this is the way you could preach this. We're all clinging on to something, some sort of history, some sort of identity, something like that. And that's what these Sadducees were rolling up and these Pharisees were rolling up, understanding that, man, well, we have it together. And John the Baptist points that out. And one of the things in Advent and uh, the message of John the Baptist is to point out, man, whatever thing you are clinging on to besides Christ and him alone, um, that ain't going to cut it. And uh, it's got to get out of the way. Yeah. And so what's interesting, to, to tell the Pharisees and Sadducees, bear fruit worthy of repentance is a pretty crazy thing to say because these are people who on the surface look like they're already totally repented. They've already uh, done all the good things. Like these are people that tithe and these are people that go to church every Sunday or for them uh, on the Sabbath. These are folks uh, who are on the exterior, very holy. So when he's saying bear fruit worthy of repentance, he then he then tells them what that looks like. And because their sin is that they have presumed, they have they have basically uh, banked on the fact that they have this connection to Abraham, and um, their their ethnic and cultural uh, and religious heritage will save them. And he wants to point out that um, you know, as as much later Christ will point out that that. <laughs> That doesn't do the trick. Yeah. And he even says right here, he says, even now the axe is lying to the root of the trees. Um, so, you know, this goes back to the prophet Isaiah and even, you know, that uh, God is chopping it all down. And, um, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And, um, and so, uh, and then he highlights what he has come to do. And this is very, very important and critical for you to understand. Um, especially with the question, well, why does Jesus need to get baptized? Um, well, this is the thing. I baptize you with the water for repentance. Um, John the Baptist's baptism is not a Christian baptism. So, you know, people who want to like try and use this passage to defend adult baptism, this is not the place to do it. Um, John, I don't believe in it, but uh, John is doing a baptism of repentance. And so Jesus coming into these waters powerfully is a sign of him identifying with you in every way. And so, but he says, but one is more powerful than I coming after me, who I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. And he's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. This is very powerful. So this is a sign of eminent judgment, 
Ammon yep. and judgment. Um, but um, the winnowing fork is in his hand and the threshing floor will gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. This is harsh. This is a harsh word. But where's the hidden good news here, Aaron? <laughs> well, the, it's, a, it's sort of the secret. It's because um, uh, Jesus does come to judge, but he's the one that will receive the judgment Amen. himself. That's right. Uh, his, he takes the unquenchable he, fire upon himself. That's right. That's he right. becomes John, the chaff, so you can become the wheat. That's right. So John doesn't understand this. This is the why, this is the reason why Jesus will later say that John the Baptist is the greatest ever born among women or of women. But um, compared to the people in the kingdom of God, he's nothing uh, because um, <laughs> so he because because John doesn't understand this. John thinks he's telling people to get their act together to be righteous and perfect so that God will forgive them and accept them because they've gotten their act together, which is how actually most people still think Christianity mm -hmm. works and religion works and the world works. But that's not what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come. He will have his winnowing fork, um, and but he's going to turn the heat on himself. He is, And that's why John will get so confused when Jesus starts doing his ministry and he's forgiving sinners and hanging out with the gluttons and the drunkards and the prostitutes, and he's not burning them up with unquenchable fire. And John's like, are you, maybe I was wrong. And Jesus has to kind of redirect him and show him that, no, this is, the, the, I am the right, you were right, but something else is happening in a way that you didn't expect. And yeah. so what is going to happen is that the judgment will fall upon the judge. The judgment mm -hmm. will fall upon Jesus. And, uh, and that's the big surprise that's coming. So John is right in part, but he doesn't see the whole picture. And John the Baptist is sort of the last gasp of the law. And he's invited, he's like sort of one more time, if we want to try the law, let's, let's go for it. Mm. And I'll do this baptism of repentance to kind of give you a clean slate to start all over again. Mm. But as we all know, that's not going to work and we do need someone. And John, even speaking wiser than he knows, does say the one, so he even acknowledges his own baptism won't work. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who's more powerful is coming, and he is the one that has to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying even he himself has some sort of inkling that this law-based approach to holiness is not going to ultimately work, and there's going to need to be an inside job, meaning the Holy Spirit uh, doing his work inside you, and fire even pointing, I think, a little bit towards Pentecost. Again, John right. not even aware of that, but but this is where we're headed. Uh, the, the picture only develops slowly over time. But I think how you preach this to your people is you say, you're, I mean, this is one way I would do it, is to talk about the fact that it is now December 8th. We're beginning to think about all the money we're spending and food we're eating. And so January, we're going to set the reset button and we're going to have some resolutions and we're going to get it together. And um, what John is pointing us to is he, John was telling people to get it together more than anyone has ever said. But even he realized it wouldn't work and said there has to be someone else who's coming to do the work inside you, to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, to put God's own spirit in you, to, to work work it mm. out from the inside out. And so there's a pointing to another. So um, the, the good news that's coming at Christmas is that there is one who is coming and instead of judging you, will forgive you. And instead of condemning you, will redeem you and ultimately will put the Holy Spirit of God in you to make you into the person that you could never be based on your own resolution and strength. End uh, of sermon. That is beautiful, man. That will preach. And uh, I think that is a, a killer place to leave on um, the second Sunday of Advent. And so um, 
Uh, gosh, so remember, uh, John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, uh, n- not what he expected, and neither us, because he forgives sinners by becoming the judge who's judged in our place. So uh, until next time, everyone, God bless you, and, uh, and uh, have a wonderful, happy Advent, and uh, we'll go from there. Go have some eggnog. Peace, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.